Kimberly never remembered a time on Sunday morning and Tuesday when she was not at Crystal Baptist Church. For 18 years, she was active in every ministry from crawlers all the way up to college and career. Her parents used the Westminster Shorter Catechism to, to disciple her along with the Bible Project videos. Three days a week, they tried to minister to her and her brothers as best as they could. Kimberly confessed faith in Christ at the age of 15, and she was baptized. After two years at Wake Tech, she enrolled at a university out of state. Kimberly faithfully attended church, and she joined a campus ministry. And during her senior year, as she normally did, she went home for Thanksgiving, but this time she brought a friend with her. She wanted to introduce this friend to her parents, and Kimberly's friend's name was, was Kelly. Her parents quickly noticed that Kimberly and Kelly were more than just friends by the way they interacted with one another. As the family chilled out after pre-Thanksgiving, praying board games, Kimberly shared with her parents and her brothers that her views on things had changed. So things had changed for her. And she shared that her and Kelly had been dating for three months. She also shared that she no longer believed in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation. She denied that claim. But she did say she did believe in Jesus Christ, but he was just one of many faithful religious leaders. As her parents and brother listened, Kimberly shared that her beliefs were influenced by her professors, but especially by the church that she was attending and the campus ministry. She said they had reshaped her life. After the talk, her parents had a long talk in their room about how they could enjoy the weekend, enjoy Thanksgiving. Family was coming over. They talked about their desire to love their daughter and to love Kelly also. But they also know that they wanted their daughter to repent. And they wanted the same for Kelly also. They wanted her to reject the deceptive teaching about Jesus Christ and believe the true message that transforms lives. They also wanted to help her brothers process what they heard and what they saw and that they would keep hoping in Christ in spite of their sister's decision. Their parents, her parents' ultimate hope was that the gospel would debunk the deceptive teaching. You know, deceptive teaching about the person and work of Jesus Christ has been going on for years. For years. And it will not end until Christ returns and establishes his new heavens and new earth. And even in our day, there is deceptive teaching about the person and work of Jesus Christ from within and outside of the church. And in our text this morning, we're going to look at how does John address deceptive teaching. He's going to address some deceptive teaching that has infiltrated the church 
This deceptive teaching, as we're going to see in chapter 3, had misinterpreted the core teachings of Jesus Christ, and it produced a fake Jesus Christ whose offer of eternal life was actually an offer of eternal lie. So John cleans it up. He cleans it up by focusing on the truth of the gospel, on the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ Church at Roseville, I preach for your joy this morning. I preach for your joy in Christ, and in spite of deceptive teaching, you would keep hoping in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I preach for your joy this morning that you would engage family members and friends and co-workers who have believed a lie about Christ and that you would clearly communicate your hope in Jesus Christ. I preach for your joy this morning that you will be able to spot deceptive teaching in our day that uses Christian words and phrases and slogans but does not produce the evidence of new life. It does not love God, does not love neighbor, and is not putting sin to death. I preach for your joy in Christ. And so the point of our passage is this, living proof, you're born again, you keep hoping in Christ until you die or he comes again. Living proof, you're born again, you keep hoping in Christ until you die or he comes again. So we're going to walk through these four verses. You're going to see three things. First, we're going to look at verses one and two, and we're going to look at keep hoping in Christ because he chose you. Then we'll look at, then we'll look at, Uh, Verse 3, keep hoping in Christ because he will glorify you. And then we'll end, verse 4, 3 and 4, keep hoping in Christ because he will sanctify you. He chose you, he will glorify you, and he will sanctify you. So number one, keep hoping in Christ because he chose you. Let's look at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. As you all know, salvation is is a process. It's a process. We're going to focus just on three things this morning in terms of how the Godhead wired salvation. First, they chose us. And then it's going to end with glorification. And then in the middle, there is sanctification. And we're going to see in here that to God's love, there's two sides. It's both eternal and it's also sacrificial. The love of God is eternal and it's sacrificial. Verse 1 opens up and it says, see, the King James Version says, behold. I like that better. Behold. Behold. The word means to see, to look upon, to see with your mind the knowledge of the love of God in Christ. And it's not in the inaccurate teaching of the false teachers. It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So behold, look at this. It's beautiful. It is amazing, the love of Christ. I have in my mind an image, the Raleigh Convention Center of a car show in the 2020 model. They want to show maybe a new Mercedes or whatever it is. Bentley, whatever you drive, Lamborghini, I know, Jaguars, whatever you drive. <laughs> and up they have the car, and it's covered, has a, uh, maybe a, a cloth over it to cover it. And they're waiting, and they say 10, 9, 8, 7. They count all the way down. They, re- they remove the cover. They say, here it is. See it. Behold. 
the 2020 model and all of its beauty. John opens up here and he says, I want you to behold the greatness of your salvation. I want you to see how great it is. It is amazing. He says, behold. John goes on the offensive here against these false teachers and their deception. He says, behold the kind of love the Father has given to us. This love is eternal. So what do I mean? It's eternal in this. The love of God to make you a child of God has always been in the mind of God. The love of God to make you a child of God was always in the mind of God. He chose you before the foundation of the world. You remember what it says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What a thought. God made a decision to love you by saving you from his, from his wrath, and you didn't even know it. Before anything took place in Genesis 1, let there be light, let there be water, he chose to save you. It did not, God's love for you did not begin with your decision. It did not begin when you raised your hand. It did not begin when you walked an aisle. It did not begin when you prayed a prayer. It did not begin when you started crying. It did not begin when you made a decision. It began before the foundation of the world. Behold the love of God. An amazing love. This love initiated a relationship with you before you even knew you needed a relationship with him. It's the love of God. It is eternal, but it is also sacrificial. It is sacrificial. Look at what the text says. He says, the Father has given to us, has given to us. The love of the Father is sacrificial in that Jesus Christ left heaven to die on the cross for your sins. We just sung that song. Amazing song, wonderful song. The Godhead planned before the foundation of the world to send Christ into the world for you. You remember what it says about Jesus in Philippians 2, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you. He did that. It is Jesus Christ whom the Father gave to the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gave his son. It is Jesus Christ who is the demonstration, who is put on the display, the love of God, as it says in Romans 5, 8. The Father gave the son. It is sacrificial. The entire story of the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It is about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and their great story. Behold the love of God. Christ Church Roseville, may you keep hoping in Christ because he chose you. May you keep hoping in Christ because he chose you. And may you encourage others who may be wrestling, thinking about their faith. Keep hoping in Christ because he chose you. Do you value salvation? Do you value salvation? Let's say you just put a number on it, okay? Every illustration falls apart at some point. But this one is going to fall apart right off the top. So let's just put a number on salvation, 85,000. You're already saying that's low, man. That's, that's low, okay? All right, 85,000. Let's, let's put a number on $85,000 on salvation. 
Do you value salvation? Do you see it as $85,000 worth? Or do you view salvation as a dollar and 35 cents? How you view salvation, the value you place on salvation is going to impact how you live. And it's going to impact everything that comes from Christ's death on the cross. It's going to impact how you view the church, spiritual gifts, prayer, the Bible, evangelism, discipleship, holiness, confession, worship. If you devalue the greatness of this salvation, it's going to impact every area of your life. What's the value you put on it? What's the value you put on it? Understand this. God chose you not because you're special. He didn't need you. He didn't need you. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't need me. He chose you because he wanted to. And so may salvation keep all of us humble. May keep all of us humble. If the Godhead does not choose you, there is nothing you can do to choose him. Absolutely nothing. So your brain should be tripping now. Wow. There's nothing you can do. He chose you. chose to love you. And so may you understand the height and the breadth and the depth of God's love for you. This love of God transforms people. God's love makes people children of God. Look at the verse. It says at the end there, actually in the middle of verse one, that we should be called children of God, and so we are that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Once again, remember, John is writing to debunk the false teaching. This deceptive teaching was declaring there was a certain way in which you became a child of God. And he's debunking that. He says, you are a child of God based on Christ. You are. You are. It's interesting because heaven's view of humanity separates everyone into two categories. It does not place everyone in the category of child of God at all. To be placed in this category is not a right, but it is a gift that flows from the grace of God. Listen to how Scripture describes people who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This is how you used, this is the category you used to be in. And for some of you here this morning, you're in this category now. These categories. Listen to these descriptors. You're an enemy of God, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. But listen, but you don't have to remain an enemy of God. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you don't have to remain dead. You're a child of the devil. That's rough right there. You're, you're a child of the devil. That's in 1 John chapter 3. By this, the children of God are distinguished from the children of the devil. And anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. The Bible says you're a child of the devil, but you don't have to stay a child of the devil. The Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe on the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. All of those things are true of you here this morning if you're outside of Christ, but you do not have to stay there at all because God has given a gift in his Son, Jesus Christ. I preach for your joy this morning. Believe in Christ and you'll be saved. But how does one who is an enemy of God, dead in their trespasses and sins, a child of the devil, the wrath of God abides in them, how do they become a child of God? How did you become a child of God? The beautiful thing is 
that one, you didn't move. You couldn't because the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Christ initiate the relationship. Christ Church Rosen, may you speak with confidence and may you speak with clarity as to how men and women move to being children of God. If you don't know, there's no shame in asking for help, asking a small group leader, or asking your pastors. The pride is not asking. Remember this, you are not a child of God because you were baptized, because you took or take communion, because you sing, because you're a pastor or an elder, because you grew up in the church, because you attend church, because you faithfully serve in the church, because you give to the church, because you've been delivered from some addiction, because you walked out, because you went up during the altar call. All those things have their place, but they don't make you a child of God. Only Christ. Faith in Christ is what makes you a child of God. This is the great love that John wants to lay out for them to encourage these believers against this deceptive teaching. And this is the great love he's laying out for you and I this morning. Now, let's go back to what I just said about the fact that you could not move toward him because you were dead, spiritually dead. You and I were like Lazarus, dead, nothing we could do. Christ had to call out and give us new life, regenerate us, as they say. Make us new. I had the, about a year ago, had the honor of doing the funeral for my father-in-law. And I remember as I stood before the people, his, his car was off to, the, to, to my left side. And I was in a room with people who were alive, these people who were alive. But I was also talking to people who were, on one hand, they were alive, but some of them were also spiritually dead. They were both alive and also spiritually dead. And the same is true even in this room here. So look around, everyone's alive. Everybody's looking at me, everyone's breathing. Everyone's alive, but it's possible that some of you in this room are spiritually dead. You're dead. And the gospel is being declared, not just through the preaching, but also through the singing. And it's calling out to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from God's wrath. That's it. Trust in Christ. And so Christ Church, Roseville, do your best to clearly and accurately communicate the person and work of Jesus Christ. And all the times that we, we've been here, you do that. But it goes without saying to encourage you to keep doing it. Keep being clear about who Christ is. You never know who is going to walk in this room. You never know where people are. Communicate clearly about Christ. And so it matters what you teach about Christ, no matter the setting. It matters what you sing about Christ. It matters how you pray. It matters what you read, the curriculums you use, the study materials in small groups or men and women's Bible study are with the kids. Each of these moments shape people's lives. Saturate everything you do with the person and work of Jesus Christ. I preach for your joy. So, living proof you're born again, you hope in Christ. The only giver of eternal life until you die or he comes again. Again. 
left in the verse 1. It says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know them. It did not know him. The reason why the world, think of them, does not know us is it did not know him. So think them, us, and him. Them being unbelievers, us being believers, and then the him is Christ. And the reason why the world did not know him, it says in there, because they were of the world. They were taken in by the world system, and the world system is always at war with the person and work of Jesus Christ. The world system does not bow the knee to Jesus Christ. The, the world system tries to kick Jesus in his knees to force him to bow to their desires, pleasures, and greed. It's the world system. John says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. They don't know us. He's trying to encourage them. They don't know us because we know him. Christ changes everything. Everything. Now, they knew some basic things probably about Jesus Christ, where he was born in Bethlehem, maybe of the line of David, that he had many followers during his earthly ministry. But they didn't know him in the sense of saving knowledge. They didn't know him in that way. They didn't know him in the sense that they were sinners, that they needed to trust in him and in him alone. They're dwelt by the Holy Spirit and controlled by the Spirit. They didn't know that he appeared to destroy the works of the devil, it says in verse 8. They didn't know him in that way. That's special knowledge. Christ Church Rosal, because you know him in an intimate and personal way. Listen, your work ethic, your worth ethic should be much higher than the standard operating procedure because you know him. Now, you may not be the best employee on your job. There may be people that are better than you, but there's something different about you because you know him. There's something different about the way you handle conflict on your job. How you talk to managers and supervisors and co-workers, you do it because it's, you're full of grace and mercy. There's something different about you. You operate with grace, mercy, and clarity. It should, be, it should not be known of you. You operate with cursing, lying, and gossiping. May it never be if you know him. You know him. Christ chose to save you, but salvation is a process. It begins with God choosing you, and there's other things that happen before that. But it begins with God choosing you, and it ends with you receiving a glorified body. Let's look at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Once again, this is a confident declaration. Beloved, we are God's children now. John is thinking of a future transformation that is going to take place. And he says, what we will be has not yet appeared. Appeared, referring to Jesus Christ. It's amazing that Christ's work of salvation did not begin and end at the cross. He atoned there for our sins. The price has been paid, but it's not complete yet. We are waiting for Christ to appear. To appear. Be encouraged because Jesus Christ, after his death, he did not ascend to heaven and back to the right hand of the Father to watch you struggle with sin. He did not 
ascend there to see you go through trials and tribulations. He's not in heaven laughing and telling jokes with the angels as they watch the bloopers of your spiritual journey. No, he is interceding on your behalf. It says in Romans 8, 34, he is interceding. May you be encouraged that Christ is still at work on your behalf. He never takes a day off. He never calls in sick. He's never too busy. He never says, leave a voicemail or text me or send me an Instagram post. No, he does not. He is still working on your behalf. How great a salvation. How amazing you and I are that we are so jacked up that Christ died on the cross and is still in heaven working on our behalf. Oh, how great a salvation. Are you looking for his appearing? Are you looking for him to come? That word appear means to be made visible. To be made visible. Christ has a body. This goes He's going right against those who are proclaiming that Christ kind of separated from his body because uh, the body matter is evil, and so Christ couldn't have a body, so it got separated. So he's going right at it. We're going to see him. He has a body. He's going to appear. He's coming back. He wants to make that very clear. He did that in chapter 1. So this false teaching did not correctly teach about Jesus body, but we know that when he appears, you're going to see him. You're going to see him, Christ Church Roseville. You understand that? The one you read about, you're going to see him. The one you sing about, you're going to see him. The one you pray to, you're going to see him. The one you confess to, you're going to see him. The one you give to, you're going to see him. The one you serve, you're going to see him. The one you hope in, you're going to see him. The one you shout for, you're going to see him. The one you sing songs to, you're going to see him. The one you hope to provide for you, you're going to see him. The one you say, I love, you're going to see him. Behold the greatness of God's love for you. But how can you see him? How can you do that? And you can't go in this body. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You need to have a glorified body. That's what you need. You need to have a glorified body. Only Christ only Christ gives glorified bodies. He's the only one. He's the only one that gives glorified bodies to those that have trusted in him. May you be encouraged that the body that you're going to get, the glorified body, Tony Stark or Shuri have nothing on this body. Nothing at all. You say, well, I don't see where he's talking about us receiving a glorified body. And he's talking about the appearing. I have in mind Philippians 3, 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about the fact this body will be raised in glory. So it comes from Christ. Christ chose you, and Christ is going to glorify you. He's going to give you a new body. Be encouraged. It's tailored just for you. It's just for you. It's not going to be too big, too small. 
you know? It's just for you. Your body may have bruises now, the glorified body will not. Your body may have bad eyesight now, the glorified body will not. Your body may have anxiety attacks now, the glorified body will not. Your body may have migraines now, the glorified body will not. Your body may need a cane now, the glorified body will not. Your body may have cancer now, the glorified body will not. You're going to receive a glorified body. I preach for your joy in Christ. Your glorified body ultimately is for you to enjoy Christ. It's not to worship the glorified body, but it's to worship Christ and to enjoy him forever. You know, many of us in this room have people that we love very much. Maybe there's a grandma, grandpa, uncle, or an aunt. Someone you love. They're very sincere. You love their food. You love going over their house. But you know that they may not spend eternity in heaven. May I encourage you, I say this to myself also, May God give us the courage to ask those whom we love who may have the gray hair. Are you ready to die? Where are you going? Would they give anything like we said earlier? Oh, I've been baptized. I took communion. I went to church. I was faithfully served. I was on the choir. I was a whatever it is. That's great. That's great. Ask them about Christ. Christ. I'm not going to say that's going to be easy conversation at all. It won't, probably won't be. But may God give us the grace and mercy to ask, where are you going? And share the gospel with them. It's interesting, beloved, because in heaven in these glorified bodies, it's going to be great. As one writer said, heaven without Christ is hell. Christ is what your soul longs for. That's what your soul wants. In heaven, we're going to sing praises to him. We're going to sing, as it says in Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. For eternity, we'll sing. That's what we're hoping in, the return of Christ. As for John, you know, I can't stop these deceptive teachers. I can't. I can give you the truth, but I can encourage you that one day it will come to an end. Their lives will end. Hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. For some, the appearing of Christ is all that we can hold on to in this life. Maybe there was a relationship that ended, and, and you were hurt, whether emotionally or financially, and you've done everything you can, but all you can do is hope in Christ for him to appear. Maybe on your job, your supervisor is not kind to you. You've done the best you can. You've prayed for them. You've acted with grace and mercy. You've got everything done in time, but they've been unjust in how they've dealt with you or a promotion. You may need to look at another job or something like that, but it may be all you can hope in is I'm hoping that when Christ returns, he'll be just. Hope in Christ. He will appear.
The longing of our soul should be for a ruler who will rule with justice and mercy and compassion and righteousness and with perfect knowledge. I love that as, as you all prayed this morning for our leaders, and that's what we're told to do. But what this prayer should remind us is that every leader in this world has flaws, and no leader can satisfy us, only Christ. May he appear, and may he come. American history tells the story of many people who've hoped in Christ. And there's been one group of people who've hoped in his appearing, who've hoped in the appearing of a righteous ruler that we can learn from. I, I think of the horrific times during slavery and the Jim Crow laws and the civil rights movement. Men and women who looked like me and looked like you, who locked arms in their struggle for human dignity, something that should have been theirs because of the Imago Day, who locked their arms because laws were unjust. And they endured wickedness, hoping in the risen, reigning, and ruling Christ. They hoped in Christ. They had the faith to live through injustice, to watch and hear churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities, to hear ministers say these are social issues which the gospel has no real concern. They had the ability to keep hoping in the risen, reigning, and returning Christ in the midst of the silence of some churches and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. Dr. King, letter from a Birmingham jail. They hoped in And so your hope and my hope is, as it says in Psalms 11:4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. That is your hope. No job, no community, no team, no senator, no mayor, no vice president, no president of the United States. They will fail our hopes in the appearing of Christ. I preach for your joy in Christ. Let me ask you this, will the appearing of Christ mess up your life? Would the appearing of Christ mess up your life? For some, you say, yeah, it would mess up my life because this life is great for me. For others say, no, I want him. What you and I want is for Christ to come back, and he will come back. But understand this, the return of Christ is not going to be joyous for everybody at all. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This morning, if you're here, I plead with you to trust in Christ. You need to trust in Christ because you're a sinner. You have a problem. And your only hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other offer on the table at all. It is in Christ. But if you do not trust in Christ, listen to what 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels... In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. If you're here this morning, when Christ returns, if you return without Christ, he's not coming to be your friend. He's not coming to tell you to trust in him. He's coming to bring vengeance, and he's coming to bring wrath. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Well, we keep hoping in Christ, 
because he chose us. We keep hoping in Christ because he will glorify us. But we come to our last two verses. Keep hoping in Christ because he will sanctify you. Sanctify you. Chose us. He's in the process of sanctifying us, and he will ultimately glorify us. As if now John is going to pull together these two things, the fact that he chose you and the fact that he glorified you, and now these two things inform how we live. Bring these two things together, and this informs how you live. He says in there, verse 3, let's look at it. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, says everyone. That refers to all who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter ethnicity, social, economic, class, education. Doesn't matter. Everyone. And John states that everyone does something they hope. Everyone who thus hopes. Now, this hope is different. Some of you all are hoping that the Carolina Panthers will have a great year. <laughs> See, you don't even believe it. That's why you laughed. Other users are hoping for other things. Maybe you're hoping for a relationship to work out. Maybe you're hoping to get a call back from HR about an interview you had. We all have hopes. Hopes. But this hope here is different than that. This hope is not a one-time decision of hope. I trusted in Jesus Christ 15, 30 years ago. There's been no change in my life since then. This hope is an ongoing, continuous hope in the eternal plan of God. It is a continuous action, a continuing hope in what God is doing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. They hope. Everyone who had, they hope in him. They hope in Christ. We're going to get that. The, the Bible is full of stories of people that hoped in God. You remember the midwives who feared God in Exodus 1, 15 and 22, when the ruler says, kill the son. They feared God. They hoped in him. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down. They were hoping in God, and they did not bow down. They were hoping in God in trying circumstances. Hope. This hope, once again, is an ongoing expectation in God's eternal plan in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, this hope is in a specific person, and everyone who thus hopes in him, the person is Christ Everyone who hopes in Jesus Christ. So you're hoping in the one who speaks the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're hoping in the one who prayed for you. You're hoping in the one who filled you with his Holy Spirit. You're hoping in the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. That's who your hope's in. It's in a specific person. But your hope is also alive. Because Christ is alive, your hope should be alive, not dead. It's a hope that's living you remember 1 Peter 1, 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So your hope is living. This kind of hope was wired into you when you believed by the Holy Spirit. And this kind of work is at work in every person who believes. At work, in order to get access uh, to our building, every employee is given a code. The only way you can get into the building is if you put this code in. Everyone has the code. If you don't have the code, you have to ring the doorbell and they'll let you in. But if you don't have the code, you're not an employee of the company. Everyone has the code. Everyone has it. If your hope is only in a past action, a past decision, 
There's been no transformation in your life. You have no treasuring of Christ. You're at that $1.35. It's possible you may not be born again. It's possible that you're not a follower of Christ. And what you want to do is examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Am I truly a believer in Christ? You can look, are you still hoping in Christ? Hope in Christ. Well, he continues in there. He says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So everyone who hopes in Christ does something. So the hope in Christ is effective. It does something in everyone who hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. So we can go back. This is the standard operating procedure for all believers. All of us purify ourselves. We're all in that process of being pure. Now, this is very important because in John's context, there were the false teachers who were inaccurately teaching about one's relationship to sin. And what they were saying, pretty much, if we were to look at verses 4 through 10, was go ahead, now you're free to sin it up. It doesn't matter what you do in the body at all, because you're just spirit and knowledge. It doesn't matter what we do, so just go ahead and sin it up. Listen to what he says in verse 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So children of the devil, they freely sin, and that should not surprise us at all. But what should surprise us is when someone professes faith in Christ and they're normally practicing sin. That should surprise us. Now, he's not saying that you're going to be perfect in a life that happens in our glorified bodies, but we should be in this process of growing more and more like Christ where our desire is to do what's is to obey the Father. That's what feeds our souls. And when we do sin, we have 1 John 1, 9. Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what Christ does. You and I should be growing in sanctification because that is what the gospel does in men and women. And so sanctification is both how we think about things, but also how we live. So it's not just what we think. It's not just taking in information. It's taking in that information and living it out in everyday life. You can have a lot of knowledge and not be sanctified. You can wax theologically real well and not be growing to sanctification. I want to share with you, there's many ways we could talk about being sanctified, but I just want to share one with you. And that is taking in the Word of God. Taking in the Word of God. I want to, I want to encourage you, I know you're probably doing it, but I want to encourage you that one of the ways you value, one of the ways you treasure the person and work of Christ is you feed upon the Word. You feed your soul with God's Word. Now, now, some of you are probably thinking, okay, I'm hungry. I'm thinking about what's at home, what's cooking. I'm thinking about where we're going to go to eat, okay? 
And, and so I'm pretty sure none of us would say, you know what, I'm going to eat after the service. And then I'm not going to eat until next Sunday after the service again. You would say, I'm going to eat after the service. I'm probably going to have a, uh, a meal later on tonight. And then you probably already thought through where you're going to go at work. Monday, I'm going to have pizza. Tuesday, I'm going to have Chinese food. Wednesday, I'm going to get Jerry's, okay? That's already rolling in your mind. It's already wired in you to feed your soul with food. I want to encourage you to feed your soul every day with God's Word. You need to take God's Word in every single day, just as you take in food. Listen to Psalms 119. Listen to some of these psalms. These are beautiful. Psalms 119, verse 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice he didn't say, I just stored up my word, I just stored up your word just to store up the word. I stored up the word that I might not sin against you. Verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things of your law. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your Word, powerful. Christ Church Roseville, you and I need the Word, and we need the Word every day for our souls. Christ Church Roseville, you need to be a chef of the Word of God. What I mean by that, you can't, you have to, but you cannot. The only one that makes your biblical meal for you cannot be the elders, cannot be Pastor Jim. You've got to be able to dig into the Word yourself and feed your soul with it. God has everything at His disposal to purify us to be like Christ. He wants to loosen our love of this world to love Christ in all circumstances that come our way until we die or Christ returns. As I bring this to a close, think of these three things, these three points to think through as ways to give some evidence that you're maturing in Christ. You're moving from God, get me out of this, to God, how are you using this to conform me into your image? You're moving from God, get me out of this, to God, how are you using this to conform me into your image? You may be asking yourself these ways, how can I be a conduit of grace to my family, relatives, classmates, and coworkers? Why? Because you have eternity on my, in mind. When you live honestly in this world, you accept that it was not designed to satisfy you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so John here in chapter 3, he writes to debunk the deceptive teaching that misinterpreted the core truths about Jesus Christ, that produced a fake Jesus Christ whose offer of eternal life was an eternal lie. So he cleans up the mess left by the false teachers with accurate teaching concerning the true works, the core truths about Jesus Christ. And so living proof you're born again, you hope in Christ until you die or he comes again. Let's pray.